We met on the gram, became instant BFFs, and we're two girls here to empower women to be self-reliant. Hey, I'm Amy, founder of Alexa Athletica. And I'm Emily, the creator of Stami Tactical. And we are Not, Not Your, Your Average, Average Gun, Gun Girls. Girls. We're calling on our friends, industry insiders, and speaking to people about major moments in their lives. We talk guns, personal safety, share lifestyle tips, and everything in between. So grab your coffee or your vav because you, you can, can sit with, with us. Garbage Gun Girls with a very special guest joining us in studio, Mr. Rich Emberlin. Rich Emberlin is a 30-year law enforcement veteran who served most notably with the Dallas Police Department's elite units, including Dallas SWAT, Special Weapons and Tactics, and the Criminal Intelligence Unit Dignitary Protection Squad. He was also assigned to the Office of Chief of Police as a liaison to the Department of Defense, where he facilitated training exercises for the special operations community. Rich is also a veteran television personality and subject matter expert, most recently serving as an in-studio analyst on the A&E documentary series, Live PD, and so much more. Loved that show. Did you? Yeah. I haven't even seen an episode of it. Now I'm going to have to watch it. I think they canceled it. Did they? Yeah. You know, during all the craziness for well, whatever Well, that's unfortunate reason. because Rich is such a great personality on television. We are so lucky to have Rich with us today, and we want you to go back and listen to a previous episode. We had him on two years ago, episode 55, the one that never came home. It, he shared a very personal story, and we are so excited to have him back because there has been updates on this story. So definitely go back. Listen to that episode so you can get caught up, so you can tune into what the updates are today, because you're not going to want to miss this. It's a great episode. Rich, welcome back to the show. Thank great to you be so back. much Good for joining us. Um, take us back briefly to that night of December 30th, 1983. Well, myself, well, my Diana Hansen was my girlfriend at the time. We both went to North Texas up in Denton. We were on Christmas break in 83. Her dad was a pilot in Las Vegas, Nevada in Ellis. And my dad was flying out of uh, Spokane, Washington. And uh, so I wasn't with her, but she used to go jogging all the time. And as I told you before, I, I used to go with her. I hate jogging, but I was always worried about her because <laughs> it's a dangerous world, apparently. And uh, she went jogging on the night of the 30th around four and never came home. And a construction worker found her the next day on the 31st, kind of in the edge of the, it's developed now, but it was kind of the edge of the desert in Las Vegas. She'd been kidnapped, raped, and stabbed seven oh, times. God, killed. that's awful. Did you get, were you the first one that got the phone call you know, when they I, found her? I, I know that her parents obviously did, and her brother probably, but I remember we were watching the news and my dad answered the phone. Typical Major Emberlin. He's been here since the 15th. I know now this detective, his name was Dan Dillard, was calling to notify me, yes, but to make sure I was where I was at because the boyfriend's always the suspect. Wow. And I didn't even think about that until like two years ago. I thought, you know what? That dude was making sure I was sitting right where I was. Wow. Mm -hmm. And he said, some detective in Vegas wants to talk to you. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't know anybody there except for, you know, didn't even think about her. And uh, he goes, this is Detective Dan Dillard, and I hate to tell you that your girlfriend, Diana, has been murdered. Because oh. I can't give you any more details. Obviously, I know why now. And I wasn't a cop then or anything. I was still in college. And the next call I got was from her dad. He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to take my daughter. I don't know where to bury her. I said, 
barrier in Denton. That's where all our friends are. We're military people, you know. And like, I was born in Waco, but I've never lived there. Yeah. Yeah. So. When you got that call, what was going through your head? You know, I had to call him back because I thought it was kind of a dream or something. Like trying to process, Mm -hmm. yeah, process that at that age and you don't understand. couldn't have happened. Mm Mm-hmm. And I called him back and he, he goes, I expected this. I go, is she really? He goes, yeah, I'm so sorry. And there were some friends that didn't know yet. Like my college roommate, Steve, he lived in Irving and he was still down in Texas. And I called him and I said, hey, Diana Hansen got murdered. And when I, when I said it, I went, what if I'm wrong? Because, you know, he liked her a lot too. You know, I went. Am I giving out bad information? I, I just, it was a weird, weird thing. Yeah. I'd never, I've been around plenty of death now, but at that time, none. Yeah. I'd never notified anybody of anything like that. And I just felt, what if everybody's wrong here? Well, and it was a different time then to the <clears throat> mass information that we get now and how quickly things spread. I would have found out. Very different, yeah. very yeah. different back then. I would have found out the night before on Facebook that she was missing at least, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to wait for, you had to wait for things back then. Well, this case has obviously been when I, I remember talking to you and first hearing about this. I wasn't aware of the case until Mm -hmm. you and I connected and you heard uh, what we were doing with Alexa and it, it meant a lot to you what we were doing to help Mm -hmm. keep runners safe. And that's when you shared this story with me. And I remember going, we have to have you on. Um, Why did you decide to start talking about this story. You made me. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, after becoming a police officer, you know, I thought I'll never be able to solve her murder or prevent her murder, but maybe I can stop other Diana Hansons. You know, you know, we all say we want to protect and serve. I, I wanted to stop this from ever happening to anybody else. So this had a profound impact on Absolutely. your career choice. <laughs> yes, 35 years worth today. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I never was a detective in like family violence or assaults or anything. I was a patrol officer, which I'm sure I saved a few people, you know, from family violence mm-hmm. and stuff like that, just answering calls. But uh, then I went to narcotics and you can kind of save lives there, you know, mm-hmm. keeping people from getting drugs or getting them out of the hands of people that don't need them. And then I went to SWAT where we did, you know, we did save lives. We did hostage rescues and hazardous warrants and stuff like that. And then I went to criminal intelligence, dignitary protection for the last six years. And I worked with the Secret Service as a liaison, their local guy. So I've taken care of eight presidents. I counted them up the other day. Wow. They weren't all in office. <laughs> like Carter came here to build houses, Habitat for Humanity. Ford used to come here and shop with his wife. From those two on, the only one I never met was uh, Ronald Reagan. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, so so take us back. You get the phone call. This is shocking, obviously, to you. <laughs> yes. to, to say the least, that would be shocking to anyone that got a phone call like that. Did it ever cross your mind that the case would not be solved in a short matter of time? No, I expected them to call me within days with an arrest. And it didn't happen. And I would call Detective Dillard very frequently, too frequently for him, I think, because he was frustrated. And they did so much work. They really did. They got plaster tire tracks. She had on a Sony Walkman. I, I got to, when I became a police officer, 
That happened in 83, the last day of 83 they found her. I became a cop in 87. And in 89, I'd been calling in the whole time. In 89, I went over to, I went to Vegas with a bunch of friends on one of those $99 round trip deals. And I uh, opened up my window. We were downtown and there was the police department. And I went, I'm going to go over there. It's been nine years. I said, yeah, six years. I'm going to go see what, what's going on with that case. So still well, no arrests had been made at that point no. for so six they, years. And they were, were they being, after it happened, were they being really communicative with you about just the when process? When I called them. Okay. You know, because I probably was a suspect for quite a while because when I went over there to the detective's office, I went, I just walked in the front door of the police station and I went up to a lady and I said, ma'am, I want to talk to somebody about a murder. I didn't know. <laughs> High alert. <laughs> I didn't know they had just done one of those Crime Stopper reenactments of her case like two weeks earlier during oh. a football game. Really? And she said, which murder? And I said, well, it happened a long time ago. You guys call it the jogger killing, but it was Diana Hansen. And I swear she must have reached under a desk and pressed a button because I was looking at two gigantic detectives coming off an elevator thinking I'm there to confess, oh, oh I my think. Gosh. And one was Dan Dillard. So the original detective on the case. He didn't know it was me down there either. Really? Mm -mm. Wow. So they take you back into the room. And no, what he came up to me. He goes, what do you want to talk about? I go, before we get started, I pulled out my badge. I go, my name's Rich Emberlin. We've talked on the phone, detective. He goes, oh, well, come on up. And they showed me the whole case file. Oh, First wow. time you'd ever seen it. Mm -hmm. So there were details within that case that you were not privy to before this? And not supposed to talk about since or until now. Right. Really? Because I saw the crime scene, sadly, and all those photographs. And there was a Sony Walkman that show was the big one you used to wear yeah. on the shoulder. Oh, yeah, the strap. And I didn't even think about it, but I didn't see her ear pods. And she only had like one sock on. And she had run into the desert and crashed into a cyclone fence. And that's when he caught her and did what he did. But um, it never dawned on me that I didn't see her earbuds. And that's part of the part that broke the case years later. And they showed me mail from me to her and letters that she'd started to write. And oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. It was weird. So was the family continuing to follow up with this yes. case as well? Yeah, I would talk to the dad until he died. Yeah. Man, that is just yeah, I mean, I And and then after maybe 10 years I quit talking to them, you know. I mean, no, no news is no news, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're gonna find out before me, probably. Wow. So Fast forward 38 years. Yeah. A lot has happened. I mean, this is why we have you here. We've got like more news on the case. So during those 38 years, so you went back to Vegas, you met the detective. Yeah. You kind of took a break for 10 years. What then, did you get started back up again? No, I, I, I kept calling about okay. once or twice a year. And finally one time he goes, we're not going to solve this case. So stop it. Oh, no. Like five years before. But I kept calling. What was it that... He was frustrated. And I don't blame him. Yeah, but like, what, what kept was it with you? you? Yeah, what what was it inside of you that kept you calling for 38 years? She was my first true love. Oh. You only get one of those. Yeah. And, you know, then becoming a police officer and knowing that things can get solved if you hound people... And, and I know they were working on it. I saw the stack they had where I went there was that tall of just every, they even tracked down 
where that Walkman was manufactured and where she bought it just in case the suspect left it. Did they have any suspects at this point that they were talking to? There was a guy from Dallas, a, a, a guy... A guy, came, a guy said his name was Wade Peacock. I can talk about all these people. Now they're dead. Wade Peacock lived in Las Vegas. He had a brother named Charles Peacock here in Dallas. Charles worked in a bar. He's like a bartender, just a low-life bar down on Industrial. And he went to Vegas to do a construction job with his brother during that time period. In the 80s. During 1983 in December, actually. Gotcha. And he and his brother were watching that football game when they played that reenactment. And his brother, Charles, Wade's brother, started crying. They brought him down once he started talking. They said, you're going to come down and do an affidavit. Uh -huh. And he started crying. And he said, my, my brother started crying when we were watching that jocker killer thing. And he said he had something to do with her murder. Wow. And they said, what? And he goes, and then he just got quiet about it. So he goes, and he got me in trouble at work because he left the next day and didn't show up for the construction job when we started back in January. So he went back to Dallas and and he, they asked him things like, you know, what's his birthday stuff? He's, he knew the month and the year. He didn't know the day. And Dan called homicide in Dallas and said, hey, does this guy exist? Because, this, oh, by the way, his brother said, y'all be careful when you find him because he killed a guy in Dallas in 1984 in a bar and the cops were too afraid to arrest him. What? This is what the brother's saying. Wow. Some of that is true. So they called Homicide and said, hey, do you got an old murder on Charles Peacock? And they said, dude, we don't have time to solve your cases. And it was really rude to him. It was a lieutenant. He's gone now. So they said, Rich, you, they're not being cooperative with us. We can't find, you know, this was before, you know, a lot of the computers we have now. Yeah. You, know, you just mm -hmm. couldn't just find somebody. Sure. I could find both of y'all's driver's licenses and addresses, <laughs> you know, just easily. Just software you buy. But um, they said, Rich, you're going back, you know, if you can find them. Because they showed me that guy's interview, too. And they said, was there anything unusual about his car? And they, he said, well, he drove a truck. And it had fat tires on the back and skinny ones on the front. And I believe that's the kind they found at the location. So I'm like, this dude did it. Yeah. Hmm. So I got back there and I went straight to the police station, typed in June 1st of 1944. And then I, I got to like the 23rd and his birthday popped up. And I went, holy cow, Charles Ernest Peacock exists. So obviously. So they, like Vegas couldn't have found that information because he wasn't in their system. He prob they probably could have. But I think his brother was a little flaky and they were like, yeah, he got he killed somebody and they didn't arrest him. So I went down to homicide and a friend of mine was working down there who had been hurt in an accident. So he was just same same uh, rank as me, just filing papers till he got better. And uh, I said, where do you guys keep the old homicide boxes? He goes, in that room. And they're just stacked in boxes, not electronically recorded. It's still 89. Right. And I went to 1984 and the P's, and there's a box that says Charles Ernest Peacock murder. Right. And I opened up the file, and I opened it up, and it said, complainant, the dead guy, went to this bar, it was called Club Schmooze, and pulled a gun on Charles Peacock, and Peacock had a gun and a shoulder holster and shot and killed him. So he got arrested. He was in jail for three months, but he got no bill by the grand jury. Mm. Justifiable homicide. Right. So his brother's, yeah. you know, the story's kind of adding up. Yeah. So we weren't afraid to arrest him, though. We're not afraid of anybody like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I focused on Charles, and I drove around 
and I went to, you can go downtown and get, he had a ton of, this is back when you could have like 10 DWIs and he had every bit of 10. He had robberies, he had gun offenses. He'd been arrested 55 or 56 times. And I'd gone and got the address for each time he got booked in. And I'd go, no, I don't know what I was going to do when I found him, <laughs> but I would get in my police car. I'd go to Irving. I'd wow, go to Rockwell. I'd knock on doors. And they'd always answer and go, no, we kicked that idiot out. He's crazy. We had to evict him. I think he lives over at so-and-so. And I'd go over there and knock on the door. I'm still thinking, what am I going to do when I find this dude? I'm glad I didn't actually. <laughs> right. So I'd been doing this. How many this. years did that? Yeah. How many years did that go on? That went on for about six or eight months. And my sergeant, I told him the story. He's a younger guy. He goes, let's go find that dude. Kill him. And I'm like, okay, sorge. So now it's sanctioned. Right. <laughs> we weren't going to kill him, but we were going to put him in custody because Dan said, you find that guy and we'll be out the next day to interview him. And I said, okay. So I'm down at the jail. My partner was booking somebody and I'm getting new addresses. And one of the silliest guys in our department, I love him to this day. He's behind me. He goes, you still trying to find that guy that killed your girlfriend? I go, yeah. He goes, how many places you've been to? I go, like 56. He goes, have you checked to see if he's here in jail? <gasps> no. Two floors above me. I'll never out. forget it. The cell was 2P11. <gasps> no way. And I went, oh my God, Donnie. <laughs> and I went and got, the jail is owned by the county. We're city. So I went and got a county guy. I'd never been upstairs. And I go, can you take me up to cell 2P11? He goes, what for? I go, there's a, a suspect in a murder from uh, Las Vegas in that cell. He goes, who? I said, his name's Charles Peacock. And he goes, oh, yeah, he got he got, just got caught shooting somebody in a robbery on Fitzhugh at Central. He's going to go to prison forever. Oh and I, and he got shot himself. So he was like in a hospital. He was ambulatory. He had this, this little white coat on. And there's like 10 guys in this pod. And I picked up the phone just to see if he was in there to make sure he hadn't got out on anything because these guys are going to fly out. And I said, Charles Peacock. And he came over and he picked the phone. He goes, what the hell do you want? I go, he'll find out tomorrow. And I just slammed the phone down. Oh, my gosh. And he looked evil. He had a long gray beard, you know, long hair, nasty, you know. Just... And they came out the next day and they took him downstairs and started interviewing him. And you got to go back. This is all DNA based. Mm -hmm. DNA wasn't a thing in 83. Right. DNA did become a thing until 85. Was that o the OJ case? No. Well, no, no, no. it was first used in a case in 85. Okay. A British guy cooked it up in 84, but they still had semen and they'd kept it on ice from her crime and some ah. hairs. Is that normal to keep things like that keep everything, for this yeah. long? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so were you in the room with them when they're interviewing? No, no, no. Okay. No, I was outside. I didn't, so want, I didn't want to PD, taint the case. Sure. You know? The Vegas PD came down to interview yes, him. Yes, the next day. Okay. Wow. And they took him down there and they said he got choked up and then lawyered up. Oh. And they were done in five minutes because all you have to do is say, I want a lawyer. Did he get any information out of him that was helpful to the case? Other than that he was there at the time in Vegas with his brother. And he then he just said, I'm not talking anymore. Because as soon as they mentioned of murder, yeah, he's like, he's I want an attorney. And they came out and they said, Rich, if he ever gets out of the Department of Corrections, we'll come get him. But, but he's gone for a long time. Oh, man. Capital case he's got. So here you are thinking you have a lead, potentially the one who did this to Diana. Yes. And you hit another roadblock. Yes. 
But I kept calling. I kept calling. And I would go down. You can do this right now on your computer. You can go to tdc.com and type in Amy Robbins and find out your number and what you're in for and what unit you're in and your release date. It's for family so that they know when something's getting out. Once you're out, though, I couldn't find you. But I would go down to FedEx right below me. And I had some sinister thoughts on my mind if that guy ever got out and I'd pay cash to get on their computer. <laughs> they would have caught me. But I would check to see if he was getting released anytime soon. And he wasn't. And he wasn't. And he wasn't. And then in May, I believe, of 2015, I hadn't checked in a long time. And I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And were you still contacting the detective in Vegas or you uh-huh. were just yeah. doing everything through um, yeah. the website? Okay. Yeah. And he, he would ask, he would call me every once in a while and say, is that guy still in prison? <laughs> okay. So, but, but, but now it's, it's fast forward 25, 30 years. Right. He can check himself. So I checked one day and he got, he had gotten out and I was like two months behind oh, no. hunting him down like a dog. Well, they let him out early for a week and he died of cancer. No way. And he had his body cremated. Oh. There's a roadblock for you. Yeah. Because they wanted to get some DNA off him because they- Authram, the company, the DNA company, we'll talk about in a little bit, they'll exhume a body to get DNA. Wow. Yeah. They exhumed one from a murder in 1881 where these great grandkids said, will you please dig up great, great grandpa? Because they buried him old fashioned. He probably had, he had DNA on him from the murderer. Wow. He'd been stabbed. That is insane. And they solved an 1881 murder. That is insane. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so, so here you are, yet another roadblock. At, at now this, I can't go kill him because he's already dead. <laughs> did you have any other suspects at this point no. that you were looking into or that the detectives in Las Vegas were looking into? No, but, you know, he didn't have a, you know, what they call those confession, a deathbed confession mm-hmm. or anything like that. And I actually called the, he died up in Bonham. And I called the I find find a grave. I found where he was buried. And I called the guy that prepared his body. And I go, "Where's his grave at?" He goes, "He's actually um, interred. He uh, he wanted to be uh, what's the word I just said? Cremated. 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 Yeah. I think he wanted to do it to get rid of any evidence in my mind. Sure. You know, now you got nothing. Right. Unless you can find family members. And I did find a cousin. So I'm doing this now. Now I'm finding now an you're aunt and a cousin in Denver. Because you can't let this go. No, I'm not going to. And the detectives were getting real close to going to the cousin and saying, we want to give you a chance to prove that you know, your uncle was not a killer. We, can we have some blood? And they can get a partial match. You know, that'll get them a little bit closer. Wow. And if he would have been buried, they could take that partial match. Because I've talked to some homicide people in other cities I teach around the country. And they'll go dig up bodies all the time. If, if some cousin or relative will give them enough DNA to make it close mm-hmm. and they'll get a sample off the body. They just have to get a warrant. So contrary to what people may think, detectives and police departments really do want to solve these cases. Yes. And they have, you know, cold case detectives that are assigned to them. That's all they do is cold cases, you know, and they have to have results. And they just they just hound people and hound the case. And try to get fresh eyeballs, as I call it, on it. You know, mm-hmm. let somebody else look at it. You know, what do you think? And somebody will come up with something bizarre. You know, like, well, have you thought about maybe he's upstairs? <laughs> you know, just like Don. Right. You yeah. Know? And I think as the time goes on, if you get more people involved in it, new people who enter the force who have different experiences um, can then provide 
and yeah. shed like different light on it. And especially the, and also more, the technology. And they're more eager too. Dan was pretty much like, I don't know what else to do. Sure. And they, they got a new lady. I won't say her name. I don't know if she wants me to, but she just, she retired, but sometimes you can get hired back as a civilian mm -hmm. and she works part-time in the cold case file. Is this, and are we at present day We're time? at present okay. day. We're at November now. November of last year. 2021. 2021, yeah. November okay. 2021. Okay. So, so I called out there and I got some supervisor, I don't know who, and I said, I want to talk about the Diana Hansen case. And he's like, I've heard about this guy. So at this point, there are no more, you're you're at your final roadblock. The reaching out to the cousin didn't, or that? We, they didn't do it. They Okay. Because they couldn't go get his body. Right. So you just did your yearly once or twice yep. check-in with Las Vegas PD mm -hmm. for the next eight years, basically. For a total of 38. Right. So for 30, right. So so coming up to November of 2021, we are looking at 38 years. And I just on a whim called and they gave me this detective lady, very nice lady, Terry, we'll call her. And she said, I, I'm not sure if I know about that case, but I'll look into it because we just solved with Authram, this company down in the Woodlands, Texas. They came up with a way when we they they had DNA. And you send it to a thing called CODIS, which is all the DNA that everybody, you know, criminal or they have mine because I'm a police officer. I give them DNA. So in case my stuff shows up at a crime scene, you know, I, I get excluded. And um, so they ran it through CODIS, but CODIS doesn't catch as much as you think. I thought they caught 100%. Really? Why is that? It just, they only look, and I don't know the math, they call them markers. They look at 20 markers in CODIS. And I think it costs DPD like 650 bucks uh, a case to ship it off. Authorm is 5,000 a case, but they look at 500,000 markers. In the DNA. In How the many? 500,000. Versus? 20. <laughs> what? And is this a private company? Yes. So this has to be a da private- Dr. David Middleman <laughs> and his wife, Dr. Kristen Middleman invented this new system. But these and markers have always existed. It's just CODIS had only chosen to look at 20 markers. Yeah, and they didn't know how to look at more. Okay. And For Since the beginning of DNA sequencing and, and coding and finding, that is all they've been able to develop is to look at 20 markers? They were only looking at eight for a long time. And then they went, I think, in 93 to 20. And, and I that's mean, it. No more developments. No. Until Othram. Until this guy, David Middleman and Kristen Middleman, who both went to Baylor, got their PhDs in biology, and started their own company. And did they see a need for private families to help them? Were they were, Was that the goal they of the company, to have help? have such good hearts. They've had people, well, they got linked up with a guy who's also related to Dallas. There's a guy named Justin Wu. He's a Korean guy that lived in Beverly Hills, but now lives in Las Vegas. And he started the Vegas Justice League. And he's a philanthropist. And he became friends with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And he said, I have this company called Othram in the Woodlands that I know of. And it's 5000 a case, but I'm going to give you this much money. And you start sending them cases. Why did they pick the young 16-year-old's case that, that the detective lady was talking about? How did they pick that case that made her trigger... What 16? Uh, didn't they solve this, uh, they, another murder? They, yes. Yes. So what made them choose that case to look at her you DNA? Know, I should ask her because 
I think they thought this guy, his name is um, Jeffrey Pendleton, the guy that did the murders, and he's dead. He died of drug overdose. And um, It wasn't Johnny? Johnny. I'm sorry. Okay. You're right. Thank you. Um, they, he was a classmate of that girl in high school, and I think they suspected him. So they just sent it off and got a 47-year-old hit. No, 41-year-old hit on that 16-year-old that got raped and murdered by the same guy. So the so then just real quick to backtrack. So the six so Othram did testing on a case of a 16-year-old. That was 41 years old. Okay. From 79. From 79. That testing is what led to being able to find Diana's. Well, some other evidence came along, and I think I can talk about it now. There's a guy that called in and said, hey, this guy, Pendleton, is not right in it. Is it Pendleton or Patterson? It's Pendleton. I thought it was Peterson. Peterson. Johnny Golly. Peterson. Yeah, I got it down here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, sorry to all the other Pendletons out there. Johnny Peterson. Um, a guy said it wasn't sitting right with him, but he remembered um, the Peterson guy having a set of um, earbuds from a Sony Walkman in his trunk of his car years ago. And I guess... Where, where did they find this This, this guy just random randomly guy. called in. And I don't know if they had released information about her murder, about her Walkman. What a, and he, they said it just ate him up and they went and looked at him. He's dead. What a strange fact to remember. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I, I wouldn't think about that. That's, that is one of those moments that we talk about a lot where we say if things just don't seem right, if right. something you know, seems out of place, speak up. The say suspect was a loser. It. Sure. And maybe Sony earbuds is something a loser wouldn't have, you know, like yeah. where's the rest of that? Right. You know? Yeah. Who knows? So here we are. You made your first, was this your first phone call of the year in 2021 to yeah. check up on the case? <laughs> so we're in November. And this has already happened with the with the, the young girl. Correct. Hers, hers so, has just gotten solved. Okay. And I think about the time I called in November, this other guy called and said, hey. So things are starting to be so pieced together. They said, you know what? 83 is not that far from 79. Let's send that one off. And if it's related and it's the same DNA, it's half price. It's 2,500 bucks. So they sent Diana's <gasps> stuff off. And Mr. Wu paid for it. And I met him. His fiance's no, family lives wow. in um, Preston Hollow right near me. No way. And then I ran into him at SHOT Show. And we had oh lunch, my too. Gosh. Nicest guy in the world. So they send off the DNA sample that they had kept for 38 years. Yep. What happened after that? I'll tell you what happened. I got a call from that detective. And she said, Rich, we got an exact match from <gasps> Diana Hansen. She goes, I'm sorry, some people were dismissive of you, but I appreciate you keep trying. And that's the email right there where she says. Can you read that? Can we read this email? Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department homicide section recently reviewed some. Uh, received some funding from a generous donor uh, to assist us in our DNA analysis. When I requested Las Vegas PD Forensic Lab to send this to Othram, they got an exact match on, there he is, Johnny Blake Peterson. And he was a resident of Las Vegas, and uh, paraphrasing, in 19, in, until 1993 when he died of a drug overdose. 
Of course, there will be no prosecution in the, in the fact that Peterson is deceased. He is also a suspect in a 79 sexual assault, the one Kim Bryant. And she told me over the phone, and it's in the internet, he's a suspect in five others. What? When you got this news. And then she said, again, thank you for your hard work on this case over the 30, years. 38 years later. And I later. just sat there and stared at yeah, it. Yeah, what, ha- what happened? Take us back to where you are when you get this email. What what happened? Well, she had just called me and it was one of those, I don't believe it. And then I just remember looking at that suspect's name was Johnny Blake Peterson. I'm like, that's not even close to my guy. <laughs> I was going to kill the wrong guy. <laughs> and I do believe, I don't know if she does. You just can't grab a woman off the road that's running by yourself. You know, they're going to fight. Somebody has to drive. And I think the guy, and I'm, I'm not saying for sure, I'm alleging that our Dallas guy was probably driving his truck and said, hey, let's go do this. And then when he killed her, he's like, dude, I was all about kidnapping her and doing other things, but don't kill her. And hmm. he left no DNA. So right. I, I, I personally think, I don't know if she does. I don't, they're not going to do anything to either one of them. They can't. But no, I just, I stared at that thing all day. Just that one center paragraph where it was a positive match. I mean, no question. And so throughout these 38 <laughs> years, I know that, you know, Diana's dad had, has, has passed. Yes. So you're still keeping up with her mother or any other family? Mother and brother. I haven't talked to them yet. I, I don't, I want to be able to maintain my, <laughs> myself. They know though. Yes. They right. know. She, okay. she wrote in here. That I've already talked to the mom oh, and the brother. Okay. But yeah, I'll talk to them sometime soon. What, what does, they, there's no prosecution in a case like this, but what is the significance of getting information like this for you? It's done. It's completely done. He's dead. The other guy I thought may have been involved is dead. And it, it took me off the suspect list. I've had two girls from college call me that I was, I was an RA with Diana in the dorms and didn't. And there were two girls that I'd called over the years that I loved and they never returned my phone calls. And they finally called me and said, we're sorry. We thought you might have had something to do with it. And I never even thought about that. And there was another guy that dated her before me named John. They, they polygraphed him, you know, so a lot of people in our call, I didn't know John. He didn't go to North Texas, but that poor guy for 38 years, every Mm -hmm. job app, have you ever been accused of murder? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, you don't have to put that down, but that's the other, that's the flip side of this. There was a case in Fort Worth, a girl named, I think her name was Carly, and it happened 40 something years ago. It was on a Dateline, and Autham was on Dateline a couple, maybe two months ago, and they found out who killed her. He, she was in a bowling alley parking lot with her boyfriend, mugging down. Yes, I saw that and one. And the guy, a guy came up, his name's McGarry, McGurley, he's in prison now. He came up and tried to shoot the kid. They were trying to have sex in the car, I guess. Tried to shoot the kid, but his gun didn't have one in the pipe. He had a semi-automatic. So he just beat him savagely until he knocked him out. Took the girl, raped her, and killed her. Choked her to death and confessed. I watched the confession on the internet this morning. Took him two and a half hours to get that old 77-year-old man to fess up. Mm -hmm. And Dateline... Went over to his house. I watched that episode because Kristen at Autumn told me it was going to be on. 
And people do this to us all the time whenever you walk up to him in uniform. I didn't do it. <laughs> and they walked into his backyard and he had all his grandkids back there. He's a 77-year-old guy. They got the cameras and cops. And he goes, I didn't do it. He had oh, no idea what he was in for. Wow. And that poor kid that was with him, all her friends, everybody thought he did it. He had to move to Alaska. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And Othram kept up with him the whole time and said, you can come back now. We got him. What a great company to just... You leave Fort Worth and I lived in Alaska. You don't want to go live in Alaska for that long. (laughs) Just to to have to be vested like that in in, in a person. Because I feel like so many people who end up being tied to some type of case and, you know, when they're innocent, just end up kind of like... You know, shunned by society you because get of that just John just die, and I didn't realize I was getting it from those two girls because I, I didn't see him in person a lot. You sure, know? but I'm sure John got it, and that kid got it. You know, they thought he beat himself up, mm-hmm. and then he goes to Alaska. He's back now. I've never met him, never had, but it's a shame. But it's the vindication side mm-hmm. of it that people forget about. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, and here's a weird little fact. I think that episode with the Carly girl. Um, they actually had brought in several suspects mm-hmm. that they were thinking uh, because there, there had been a string of murders for young women during right. that time. Yep. And one of the suspects, y'all, that they had brought on that show to look into that case was my mom's neighbor. Oh, you were telling no yes, you were yes, telling ended me up this. being well, my mom. I told her my mom grew up next to a serial killer, and they had no idea, but he was on that show, and that was not a case that got connected to him, but they later found out several cases that were connected really? to him. Mm-hmm. And and my mom grew up next to that you guy. You never know. You no, know, I know. My mom's know. like, you got to watch this uh, episode because my neighbor is on this as a suspect. So it's just, it's just crazy. crazy. I know. You know. I call it lying around with dogs and getting fleas. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll get people put on death row and they'll get vindicated maybe through DNA. But why were they a suspect in the first place? Mm-hmm. Sure. Who were they hanging out with? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, they've done other things. Yeah. Well, like in, in your case, you know, they're obviously looking at, at they got to look at everybody. But yeah, and someone that's yeah. not as close and connected right. to you got to wonder, why are you getting drug into this yeah. case? Yeah. So. Like we call it a stranger on stranger crime, which are very rare. But with DNA... Kristen showed it to me, like, put your hand on the table. She she said, I said, well, how much DNA do you need? She goes, okay, I just left a ton of DNA on you, Rich. But all we need is one micron. No. She said, I just left thousands of deep pieces of DNA That's on you with insane. just a finger touch. So how did people get a... Are there even people that can get away with this anymore? I mean, I just don't even know how you it's would Kristen has anything with to do with it. She says, I want to solve every unsolved case in this country. What? Now, when you shoot somebody from a distance with a rifle, you're probably going to have a tougher time. Yeah. But if you get a suspect, and they did with that old man, they went by, and we used to do it in narcotics. They went into his garbage and got a cigarette butt, uh-huh. got DNA off of it. That's that. I just, I'm curious about. So going back to Othram and then Coitus, like, and the and the cost that's coming mm-hmm. into play to get DNA, and it's so great that Othram has philanthropists wanting to donate to help i feel like this is it's a it's got to be a struggle for the law enforcement agencies who want to be able to solve these cold cases but then they're bound by these tight budgets well and a lot of them don't know about Othram yet so i'm having a a meeting with our chief here in dallas thursday uh first thursday in may and Kristen's going to be there uh, via zoom 
and we're going to explain, hey, we don't want any, we don't, everybody that approaches the chief, he's like, okay, what do you want? Mm -hmm. We don't want to take any money from them. There, he, we just want him to come to a fundraiser that my friend Kim Gatlin, do you, I don't know if yeah. you know Kim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She knows how to put together a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Wu out in Vegas has a template for fundraisers and we can get people in our neighborhoods, you know, and all of our friends and their friends. And they'll, they'll when they hear about this kind of stuff, they're going to open up their wallets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, will you please let us know? Yes, about absolutely. That too, because absolutely. That and what I'll put an you in touch with Kristen too. thing to be a part of giving families closure and a sense of just they can they can finally rest their mm -hmm. head at night. I remember getting the text message from you. This was not too long ago. And I I choked up. Yeah. I teared up. Just you said they got him. I was like, got who? <laughs> <laughs> like they they got him. They got the guy that that killed Diana. And I was like, oh my gosh, like. I and, still get choked up. Yeah, I mean, I, well, it's I'm, been your it's your whole life. It's just a relief, you mm -hmm. know. And and I hate this word, but it is closure. Mm -hmm. You know, and why do you hate that word? It's used too much, I think. Does it not do a very good job? Because I didn't of describing, have it for thirty eight years, yeah. maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, no, they she's so passionate, and there are families. If you go to their website, they and she's big into finding people that put like babies in dumpsters and getting the DNA off the dead baby and then finding the parents oh. or bodies that have been in Lake Travis for years or anywhere. They saw there was a little girl selling Girl Scout cookies in Spokane. I used to live up there, too. And uh, and it was don't get me lying on these years. I think that one was 47 years ago. Seven year old little girl got raped and murdered and they solved it. That's amazing. Well, how are they finding these cases? They're going back and going, okay, did they, was there any DNA on that one? Yeah. Okay. Did you run it through CODIS? Yeah, we didn't get a hit. Well, let us have a shot at it. Is it because families are asking them to, or are they just handpicking There was a family, cases? and I'm, don't quote me, I think there was a family that said, we'll give you a million dollars to solve our family wow. member's murder. And she said, no, we're not taking your money. And I don't know if that one got solved yet or not. She's not allowed to tell me when she's working on a case, if she's working with the police department and because it's an ongoing case, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like you talked about the John Bonet Ramsey. I don't know yeah. if are working on that, but they wouldn't tell me because I could have killed her. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody, you could have. Yeah. But could a private yeah. citizen just ask for any case to be opened? No. I mean. And pay for it? Through all of them? Yeah. Like yeah. If, if, yeah. It's, there's a section on their website that says solve my case. And you just type in all the information. Wow. I feel like, why isn't this, this needs to be like spread to mass media that like this is I'm an option for people. I'm telling everybody that'll listen. Great. Well, I am. Share this episode with them because we want people yeah, to know I about this. Will. Yeah. I told them I was coming I mean, on actually. But there was a couple other things I was I mean, going to touch on. I just think it is crazy to fathom that CODIS is only looking at the 20 markers versus 500,000 mark. Like I, I understand, yeah, you know, the change in technology and development and people wanting to devote that time to figure out how to do that. But well, it's science such a catching huge up with the crime, gap you in know? like the amount of markers they're looking well, at. That's the beauty of private companies. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I probably need a new neck because I've got a herniated <laughs> neck, I've got my back fused, my face is full of plates. And 
I had a buddy who in SWAT who needed a new knee and he was just real methodical about reading up on replacement knees. And he waited 15 years till he found where science caught up and he's got a great knee now. Wow. But if he would have taken what they mm -hmm. had then, mm -hmm. you might yeah. have a call that recall, you know, like some of that mesh stuff they put in people. Yeah. So science is just catching up. And I mean, as you know, you've seen enough TV shows when I say, I just want to know why you did it, Amy. I know you did it because here's the DNA. Right. You just go like this. You got me. Yeah. They they always plead guilty. Mm -hmm. Even the guy with that killed that Carly girl. Mm -hmm. Is it Carly or Carla? Carla. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. Walker mm -hmm. is her last name. Yeah. He tried to have a trial. He even confessed, but he did two days of trial and, okay, I'm not going to win this one. I'm 77. I plead guilty. Golly. That is just, that is just insane. And, you know, I, I thought a lot about you and about this case ever since we had you on and mm -hmm. talking about it. And has it, I know you do a lot of speaking and I know you talk mm -hmm. to a lot of, um, groups. Do you get to touch on what is situational awareness and personal safety and personal responsibility for your safety, something that you hit on and talk all the time. To these groups about. All the time. Women and men. What do you tell women now that go out on jogs? I mean, what are some of the top things that you tell them? Same things I've said before. Get those earbuds out. Mm -hmm. Get your head on a swivel. Walk with purpose. You know, look around. Have escape routes. I've already got one behind it. It's probably a closet, but I've got one over here <laughs> in case you guys lose your minds. But um, <laughs> no, you just, and, you know, you keep your head out of that phone, you know, and yeah. just, if you're going out for a run, run with your chin up and mm -hmm. you'll see things that you didn't see or people that you shouldn't see. And I, I talk about Diana's case, but the best part now, and I've done a couple of talks, I put a bow on it now, you know, I do have closure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can like that word again. Yeah. Right. I think it's, you know, we always talk about these safety tips and it's what you have provided and like what we've always talked about and what we share in a lot of our episodes is like, those are just very simple things that I think people just, I, I don't know what it is. And I know it has to do with technology and how we all are very like tied to our phones nowadays in this, I think this detachment we have from being personable with people that like, we can't do anything without being buried in our phones, even just going to the yeah. grocery store. I see people with head, you know, with their headphones sure. in and mm -hmm. in their phone. And I just think having to kind of get rid of that piece of technology and getting people just to do like those tiny, simple things. Mm -hmm. It's not very hard. And Locking your door, for instance, we were oh talking gosh, about yeah. that, you know, it's just, why is it, why is such the, the simplest thing could be a big game changer in mm -hmm. saving your life? Yes. But well, what about self-defense tools? Do you recommend that women keep them on their bodies or go running Absolutely. with them? But be ready to use them. Don't go get taught how to shoot a gun and shoot 15 rounds and put it in your purse. Same is true with guys. We don't practice enough mm. and don't, don't pull it out unless you can use it. You know, and if you don't feel like you want to shoot somebody, get a taser, mm. get an OC spray or mace. I teach that class too, as you guys know, but don't bring anything with you that you're not going to use because it'll get used on you. When officers get their guns taken from 85% of the time, they get killed by their own gun. So people aren't afraid of doing that. They're not afraid of shooting us. They're not certainly not afraid of shooting you. But we also do, and I do it in my neighborhood when I go running or walking. When I see a woman on the same side of the street as me, 
far enough down. I'll do her a favor and just go to the other side so she didn't go, oh, God, mm-hmm. here comes a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to do him a favor, you know? Yeah. And just go, you know what, just to re- make her relax so there's not that last hundred yards of, you know, and I've seen people change lanes mm-hmm. on me too and that's fine it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt my feelings i'll give them a wave you know or whatever well i think times have changed now so much i used to always be extremely polite to people and now i just i'm sorry i don't really care like right. I, I i do and i don't like if i i i just do things differently nowadays and i don't i'm not afraid to be that weird person that's like i'm well, just gonna cross the, the other side of the street if matters. i need be to be polite and professional yes. and yep. have a plan to kill everyone you <laughs> There you go. (laughs) On that note. Yes. Well, we, this was such an amazing episode. I thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for caring as much as you have and as long as y'all have. Absolutely. I I mean, this, we felt very personally connected Mm -hmm. to this story and the fact that they have this amazing company and Authorm. Do you know where people can get in touch with this company if they do have a case? Their website, Authorm.com. And I don't know if the people watching this episode know how I hunted you down. It was a Facebook page about people going to SHOT Show, and I saw your pants that you had designed. What do you call them? Uh, your jogging well, pants. Leggings. Leggings, okay. <laughs> I don't like that word. No. Kids still carry leggings. I mean, we got shorts, though, too. Yeah, I saw those. a lot more now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but, yeah, I looked at the whole line, and I said, that's that girl. and Because I, I saw your phone sticking out of the back, and I saw how it was kind of beefed up, and I go, that's got to be her. <laughs> You probably thought I was a creeper. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think so because I think I was already familiar with who you were from, oh, okay. you know, that little show that you yes. did in Dallas. Um, I, I had oh, Dallas SWAT when I was a tough Dallas guy. Dallas SWAT show, yes. I recognized you from that one. You and know, I spent 15 years, I went to SHOT Show this past year too. And for the thir- first, thir- right before COVID hit, you know, I'd gone like 13 times. And I was always that dude on Dallas SWAT and guys are coming up, bro. Now I have wives come up and hug me and know my name. And I see these SEAL team guys going, why does my wife know your name? And why is she hugging and taking a picture with you? That is hilarious. Yeah, so I'm sure you get that a ton, especially being here in Dallas. And so. I don't know if you know uh, uh, Natalie Wood Stanier. Yes. I was walking down that hallway, going back to the hotel, and I was with a guy named David Balls, and he goes, uh, those girls are waving at you. And I couldn't see him. I go, David, here's your clue. And I looked, and I went like that, and I kept walking. He goes, I just made it worse. And I went, okay, you guys go get some coffee, and I'll go oh apologize to these people. Well, I didn't know who Chad Prather was. Yeah. He was standing yeah. there. Yeah. She was there. A couple other people were there, and she goes, Rich? And it was the one woman I knew. I go... Natalie? And she goes, I haven't seen you since you were 18. Because oh, her dang. her friend was a SWAT buddy of mine's daughter that both tried out for the Cowboy Cheerleaders wow. at the same time. And I met her over there. Doing Dallas time. is a small world. It gets it, so it's very, small. very small. It yes. gets so small you can't Yes, it. it is. But we just appreciate yeah. your time so much. I know this story has touched so many lives. And I, I hope that you, if you did not get a chance to listen to the first episode that we did with Rich, go back, listen to episode 55. It's Give some great. more details into this. Into this, But um, also we hope that people have some takeaways from it as well mm-hmm. if they Absolutely. To go That's and, the whole idea. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you for what you guys really do. Really. And until next time, thank you guys. 
Not Your Average Gun Girl Show and its related companies, Alexo Athletica LLC and Stami Tactical LLC, shares information that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. A reminder that laws vary for each state, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. Any items, services, products, and advice mentioned during the Not Your Average Gun Girl Show should be used at your own discretion in accordance with your local and state laws, and you should follow applicable manufacturer's instructions. Not Your Average Gun Girls, Alexo Athletica LLC, and Stami Tactical LLC cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared. 